In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. So, I want to start by asking you a simple question. How much do you thirst for God? How much do you thirst for God? And that's a really important question for us to ask because how much we thirst for God is typically directed to how much we love God. You know, how much we thirst for God is essentially how much we seek Him, how much we desire Him, how much we pursue Him. And obviously, in as much as we pursue Him, we unite with Him, we uh, enter into that intimate and personal relationship that we're created to have. So, the question, how much do I thirst for God, is a critical question for me to ask myself. Now, if you think of physical thirst, when do you typically desire to drink? When are you thirsty? You only go to drink whenever you feel that urge, whenever that thirst is is pressing. And if you're really, really thirsty, you're going to drink a lot. Like right now we're having a bit of a heat wave and it's getting a little hot. If you're out and you're walking around, if you're just strolling in the heat, you, 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 you get a little hot and you get thirsty and that, that thirst is more pressing and it drives you to drink even more, right? Now, if you're sitting in your nice air-conditioned house, you already had a drink uh, an hour ago and everything is cool, you're not going to really desire to go drink, right? Because there's no thirst, right? So typically, how much we drink is in proportion to how much we thirst. And if you think of Christ as the living water, just as He states today that He is that living water, then how much we drink of Him is essentially born from how much we thirst for Him. Okay, Today we see that the Samaritan woman fought some difficult obstacles to get to get the water that that she was going to because like she needed water and like look what she went through i mean this is a samaritan woman not just anyone but a woman that's seen out in public and with her reputation following her around people know that she's an outcast and she's exposing herself in the public at the heat of the day, going whenever it's hot. The scripture tells us it's about the sixth hour, so it's around noontime. So she's fighting through some serious obstacles to get some water. And the reason is there's a real thirst, right? Now, I have to ask myself, how much do I work to nourish myself with that water? And essentially, the more that thirst increases, the more I will work to find that water, 
to taste that water and, and to, to deepen my relationship with Christ. Now, we know that in, in the case of the Samaritan woman, she wasn't just physically thirsty. She was thirsting for something more, right? And that's what Christ exposed to her in that encounter. But regardless of how much I thirst, whether it's a lot or a little, to some degree or another, like, if I'm going to be a serious Christian, I have to thirst for God. I have to desire God. So the question is, how can I increase my thirst for God? How can I increase my desire for God? Because that's ultimately what will increase my connection with God. And if that thirst isn't there, my relationship with God is just lukewarm. There's no real devotion to Him. Right? So the question that we have to ask ourselves, how much do I thirst for God? And if I do realize the significance of having that thirst, then I have to wonder, how can I increase it? How can I increase that thirst? And how can I increase that desire for God? So that's what I want to really dig into today. The, the, the way that we can increase that desire or that thirst for God. All right, now, one person that comes to mind and is a very good example of someone who worked to nourish his soul is, is David. This is someone who felt thirsty for God. In the Psalms, he says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Now, we have to wonder, how did David reach such a fervent desire and thirst for God? Right? How did he really reach that point where he thirsted for God to the same extent as you would imagine a dry land, a desert, desperately in need of water? Okay? So, Let's look at how he viewed the ground of his heart and soul. Okay, so for starters, we can say that he realized the dryness of his soul. He, he, he saw that his soul was like a desert. It was in need of water. Okay? And when our mouth is dry, like when you're parched, that, that thirst increases, right? So he saw his soul in that very same way. Right? When, when you're out on a scorching hot day and your mouth is parched, you feel a greater thirst because you recognize the condition of yourself, physically speaking. Now, if you recognize the condition of your soul, that just as your mouth may be dry and in need of physical water, your soul might be dry and in need of spiritual water, and that's Christ Himself. Right? And he recognized that need to such an extent that this is the, the same person who said, who do I have in heaven but you? There's none that I desire upon the earth but you. So God wants us to, to realize the dryness of our soul. He wants us to be aware of that need. And sometimes we don't really know the value of water and how essential it is for us until... We're deprived of water for a while. Right? Then our thirst really, really starts to increase. Right? I remember 
uh, I was um, I was at some theme park one time, and it was a really hot day. And you know how some of those parks like they hike up their prices for everything. And I think a bottle of water was like like ten bucks or twelve bucks. And this time I'm I'm a high school kid. Like I'm not gonna spend. I probably still wouldn't now, but <laughs> I'm not gonna spend ten twelve bucks for a bottle of water. So I. I continued to to push myself as for as long as I could without having to um, resort to paying that much for water. But you could only go for so long, and the longer that you go without satisfying that thirst, that that need for water, the more that the desire for water increases, the more that the, the thirst increases so a lot of times that thirst really isn't there and what God will do to awaken that thirst is is to make us aware of how much we are really deprived of that water okay so let's take a look of uh, let's take a look at what Pope Shenouda says about this, okay? So, he's speaking in um, the commentary on the Song of Songs, okay? And he's talking about how God always works to awaken that thirst that we have for Him, like I just mentioned. and He, he always works to surface that dryness and the emptiness when, when it, it's, it's not really aware of it. So... Um, in the Song of Songs commentary, we see that the Shalomite woman feels that her beloved deserted her for, for a while. Okay, so this is a woman that felt her lover just disappeared. Okay, and she's troubled, right? It's almost like somebody who is, is thirsty, but like the bottle of water that was in front of them all of a sudden just disappeared. Okay, so he says... In commenting at the end in, in chapter 5, my beloved put his hand on the latch of the door and my heart yearned for him. Okay, so this is the woman inside noticing that her lover, her beloved, which is the groom, is outside putting his hand on the latch. Like he's right at the door, right? So he says here that the Lord touched the heart and left. Alarmed, the bride declares, I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had turned away and was gone. In sorrow, she continues, my heart went out to him when he spoke. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. Alas, now is the time for feeling sorry. The Lord was there. He was within your reach. He was, within your, he was in your grasp. Such is the nature of those intervals in which grace abandons the human heart. Why do some people undergo these intervals of abandonment? So he relates this specific event in the scriptures to a soul that felt abandoned by God. Right? Someone who doesn't really realize that thirst. And all of a sudden, there's no water to be found. Right? Someone who is anticipating, like in this case, the bride is anticipating her groom and 
all of a sudden the groom just disappears. And we feel that sometimes. We feel like in our afflictions, God deserted us. God abandoned us. And we're, we're calling for Him. He's nowhere to be found. Like the Shulamite woman says here, I called for Him, but there was no answer. Right? I sought Him. I went seeking. But I couldn't find Him. And a lot of times our soul seeks. And our soul is reaching out. Our soul is wondering, where is God? Like, has He deserted me? Has He abandoned me? So the question that Pope Shunit is asking, why do some people undergo these intervals of abandonment? He continues to say, God sometimes allows us to taste the bitterness and experience of anguish of separating from Him in order to yearn for Him and earnestly seek Him. God perceives the senses that by allowing such a distance and such a gap, He may bring us back unto Him. It's when He's at a distance that we start yearning for Him. When we're left and abandoned, we start seeking Him. This is how divine providence works to enhance the human soul's desire to know and seek God. So, at the end of the day, God's objective is not to torture us. God's objective is to elevate us, is to bring us to Himself, is to have us unite with Him with greater fervor, with greater zeal, with greater desire, with greater thirst. And that's why He's always working to increase that desire and that thirst for Him. I've actually just been thinking recently about the church closures. And there's no way God is purposefully closing the doors of the church. I mean, this isn't some evil plan that God is doing, right? We don't say that God is causing the churches to close. But I, I do feel that He is using these unfortunate circumstances to increase that desire and that thirst for Him. Because the truth is, many of us do take church and especially the Eucharist for granted. Think about how many times we've just brushed off church. Think about how many times we've just went to church late. Think about how many times we're in church, but yeah, we're physically there, but we're not mentally, spiritually there. Maybe we're at church and we're not really focusing. We take it for granted, a grace that's eternal life, right? We have the living water that's at the altar for us. And so many times we take it for granted. Now, we don't always do A lot of us do have a real serious devotion and piety towards the Eucharist. But what this is doing, it's, it's reawakening that desire that... We ought to have, it's almost like whenever um, God spoke in Revelations and said that you have deserted your first love. You left your first love. And when your first love is familiar, you start to take your love for granted. So this is a, one of the ways that God works to increase our desire for Him. So in any case, God is working to remind us of our need for Him. He reminds us that we're a dry land, okay? a desert that's in desperate need of water. 
So why does our attention always have to return to the realization of our need, the realization of our poverty, the realization of the dryness of our soul? Right? And when we admit that, I mean, that's, that's whenever our spiritual life just goes full throttle towards God. But it's not easy. It's not easy to say, God, my soul is like a desert. It's not easy to say, I am in need, that my soul is dry. It takes a lot of humility to actually do that. So, in his commentary on the Beatitudes, W.J. Buster puts it perfectly. He says, When we so hunger and thirst that we're willing to come to God in humility, in the humility of a beggar asking for bread, we shall be filled. Again, when we so hunger and thirst that we are willing to come to God in the humility of a beggar asking for bread, we shall be filled. So what does this mean? We got to admit that we're in need. And, and it takes a lot of humility to admit that. The first step is humility, to realize that I am dry. And that's the truth, right? We're not uh, just philosophizing. We're not just inventing some alternate reality. This is the, the real condition of our soul. A soul that is in need. It's created for God. And without God, we have nothing. So the truth is, our soul is always thirsty. It's always in need of water. But it's our pride that blinds us to that thirst. That's why Christ says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. Why are the poor blessed? Because the poor is the beggar. The poor is the one that doesn't pretend like he doesn't need water. The poor is, is the beggar who comes pleading to receive. I remember when I was in grad school, some of you know I, I used to be a physical therapist. So in physical therapy school, I, I remember walking into my class the very first week and it was a strange sight. Like every single person had a water bottle on their desk. Okay, so <laughs> I mean... At first, I thought it was strange. Like, why does every single person in a class have a water bottle on their desk? And it's not like physical therapy students are thirstier than engineering students or law students or whatever. <laughs> but I think that the, the physical therapy mind in, in prioritizing health and awareness, they know that how... That, that water is so important, right? And it's not like they need water any more than anybody else. You know, we're just sitting in class doing the same work as any other student. But they have this health conscience. They're, they're conscious of their needs, physically speaking. So almost every single person had a water bottle on their desk. Like I was the only person who didn't have a water bottle on my desk. So I... Felt completely out of place. The next day, I bought a water bottle and just put it there. 
<laughs> just to fit in. But if we, we think of this situation, once I brought my water bottle and put it on my desk too, it's not like all of a sudden I am in a greater need of water. I've always needed water whether I realized it or not. So whether I have a bottle of water on my desk, I'm still in need, whether that bottle of water is there or not. So whether you realize that need or not, it doesn't change the fact of our need. So it's a little tough to to grasp, but we need God whether we know it or not. That's what I'm trying to say. We need water whether we know it or not. So the only difference is that the physical therapy students were more aware of that need, much more than other professions that are not entirely health conscious. So this is the way that we have to think of our relationship with God. How many of us today are living unaware that we truly need God? Think about how many days that we've just strolled through our day not drinking, thinking that, oh, I'm okay. I mean, from the, from the very first minute that we wake up, how many, how many of us wake up in need of spiritual drink? Like you might run to your fridge and grab some water for your body, but how many of us are quenching the thirst of our soul? So first, we've got to realize how much we really need God. And that comes first by realizing that we're nothing without Him. Right? Like our soul is a desert, desperately in need of water, and realizing that increases our desire for Him. When we realize our souls like a dry land in need of water, we'll desire that water more and more every day. And that's what will essentially shift our mindset to this sort of, from this sort of apathy to the mindset of a beggar that's always in need, always thirsty. Now, if we're really to apply this concept and actually live like beggars, what does this imply? So in all simplicity... Basically means we have to beg, right? If, if I'm to live like a beggar, that means I have to beg. I'm not trying to complicate things here, okay? And what that means, spiritually speaking, is that I have to ask. I have to pray. I have to pray for that desire and that thirst to increase. I have to pray for my conscience to realize that need. Because a lot of times, I'm so distracted, I'm not really aware that I'm thirsty. So, we have to pray. I'm going to share with you what um, Father Pio, Padre Pio, um, wrote in a letter. It's absolutely beautiful. So, he says, The desire to love is divine. And if it's love, as it truly is, who placed this longing to love the Lord in our heart, can we alone have one single holy desire without the help of grace? And so from the very beginning he's asking, can we desire God without God implanting that desire in us? He says, certainly not. Faith teaches us this. Then we know that. We know that the desire for God comes from God. 
All things come from God, even the desire to love Him, even the thirst for Him. Our consciousness of that need comes from Him. He continues to say, I know that no soul can worthily love its God, but when this soul does everything possible for its own part and confides in divine mercy, why should Jesus reject it? Hasn't He commanded us to love Him with all our strength? Saying to Jesus, do you want me to love you? Do you want more love from me? I have no more. Give me some more and I will offer it to you. Do not doubt. Jesus will accept this offering and you will be tranquil. So look at the humility in that prayer. To say, do you want more love from me? Because I have no more. I have no more desire. I have no more thirst. Like, I feel like there's just so much apathy in my service, in my walk with you. It's just dry. I'm lazy. I have no desire for you. And that's the truth. Like It takes real humility to come to that level and to tell God, you can increase my love for you if you will. You can increase my desire for you. You can increase my thirst for you. Now, while we pray, what can we do in the meantime? While we wait on God's grace to work in us and to increase that grace, to increase that desire, to increase that thirst, do we just sit around idly? What, what can we actually do on our part, on our end, to increase the desire and the thirst for God? So, in all simplicity, I would say our task is to just enter His presence as much as possible to stand in His presence in whatever capacity that's in our hands. Just be in the presence of God. Because the more spiritual exposure we have, the more our thirst and desire for God increases. Right? A, a very simple example is just think of your, your physical appetite. Right? Whenever I remember whenever I was um, younger, um, you, know, you know, mom's always... Uh, cooking like the best meals, especially now that we're recognizing uh, Mother's Day. Uh, special thanks for my mom for cooking the best meals in the world for me growing up. But I remember that even when I wasn't hungry, I would be sitting around and I would smell like the roses and mulukhaya and the chicken, whatever. And all of a sudden, I am hungry. <laughs> like a minute ago, I wasn't hungry, but I started smelling this food. And now I desire food. Now I'm hungry. I, I seek to eat. If you, if you just go to a barbecue, for example, and you're not hungry, you smell all that chicken and meat that's grilling, all of a sudden you're hungry, right? You smell it, it stirs up your appetite. Okay? <laughs> it's funny, we would actually do something like this and... In grad school, in grad school, we had some fun experiences. But I remember going to uh, an all-you-could-eat restaurant with uh, 
with a buddy of mine. And this is one of my best friends. He really taught me how to eat because apparently, like, there's a protocol. <laughs> so whenever we would go, uh, they, they would bring an appetizer first. And they bring the appetizer early. And they typically wait quite a while before they start to bring in, like, the main course and everything else that you're really going there to eat. So I... I wouldn't really care to have the appetizer because I just want to eat like the main course, you know, we're going to an all you could eat and that's really all I care about. So I would tell the the waitress, don't bring up the appetizer, just keep it and don't bother bringing it out. I, I, I'll just wait till you bring in the main course. And then my buddy would be like, no, 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 that's not the way to do it. Have her bring it out and just let it sit there. <laughs> so the the... The waitress would literally bring out the appetizer and it would just sit there for like 10-15 minutes and, you know, the, the lovely smell and, you know, looking at our mouths are watering and all of a sudden we get hungrier and hungrier and hungrier and that's what will ultimately allow us to eat more, right? So if you think of this in a spiritual sense... It's the exact same concept. Why is it that the more you go to church and understand the liturgy, the more you desire communion? Why is it that the more you read and the more you start to understand your Bible, the more you fall in love with your Bible? Why is it that the more hymns that you listen to, the more hymns you start to appreciate? So we have to actively place ourselves in God's presence and wait. Surround yourself with a spiritual atmosphere. That's really what it means. Archmanagerite Zechariah says, because God wants us to make Him our target, we must stand at the door of His mercy and knock from within our heart. And in order to do this, we must dwell in God's presence so as to develop a spiritual and divine sensation in our heart. Right? So we increase our spiritual appetite, our hunger and our thirst for God. And just simply by staying in His presence and waiting for His grace to work. So in the meantime, our job is to round ourselves with a spiritual atmosphere so we can experience Him. And the more we experience God, the more we desire God. Having spiritual songs playing in the background of your home instead of always listening to the news or whatever having more spiritual conversations surrounding yourself with people that care about God ultimately that will rub off because that spiritual atmosphere will start to cultivate a deeper desire in your heart for God as well so if you remember the way Christ would, would invite His disciples to follow Him was in the very same way. So, Christ would always invite His disciples to just enter into His presence, to follow Him before understanding Him. 
He didn't try to explain everything and he didn't try to transform them before just taking the first step. And the first step is just to come and to see. Right? This is, if you remember in the beginning of John's Gospel, this is what Philip tells Nathaniel. Of course, Christ said it to Peter and Andrew right before that. But Nathaniel had no idea that something good can come out of Nazareth. And he says, can anything good come, can come out of Nazareth? And Philip can't really explain it. He says, like, you're not going to get it. Like, he, he's not, you know, going to grasp it. So he says, come and see. So we can't desire and thirst for something that we don't appreciate. Right? Whenever people are coming to visit LA for the first time, they've never been here before, and we talk to them about in and out <laughs> and we're like, this is the best burger in the world. They're like, really? Come on. And you can explain it to them until you're blue in the face, but it's not going to make a difference until what? They taste it. <laughs> and that's why the scripture tells us, taste and see that the Lord is good. Right? And, and this is exactly what happens in the gospel today. In the gospel today, the Samaritan woman talks to the men about Christ. Right? She says, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? But they didn't just believe from what she said. At the end of the passage, it's so beautiful. It says, they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said. For we ourselves have heard him and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. So, we can't just live a separate life from God and expect a desire to magically start. We have to really taste the goodness of the Lord, not just in a superficial sense, but in a real genuine sense. And we wait for God. We wait in humility and God will increase that desire and that hunger and that thirst for Him on His own terms. So, I'll, I'll wrap up by just a couple of practical steps we can take. In, in the scriptures, we see that the Spirit is always directing us to taste and see God's goodness and to increase in our spiritual appetite for Him. That's why St. Paul says, in Philippians, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Right? Why meditate on these things? Because they're essentially what increase our spiritual appetite. They're what increase our thirst and our hunger for God. And there are so many wonderful subjects or topics that we can meditate on. At, at the very core, the, the primary topic of meditation is just God's love. Soteriology, like how God saved us, His creation, His cross, his dealings with us on a daily basis, that right there, the fathers tell us, is the core 
of what sparks our love for Him because it comes to expose God's love for us to our eyes. Okay? So meditate on God's love. Meditate on how He deals with the Pharisees and the disciples and all His encounters in the Scriptures. Meditate on how He works. Meditate on His glory. Meditate on nature and how He created the universe. Meditate on what He has done. His glory, His splendor, His magnificence, His love, His humility in leaving the throne of His kingdom in heaven to come to uh, assume our fallen nature, that should just fuel that fire. And, and after you meditate on that love and that divine humility, it just leaves you with amazement, with wonder, like, wow, God is beautiful. I just want to run after Him. I, I, I want to desire Him and thirst for Him and hunger for Him and, and commune with Him even more. A couple of other topics for us to meditate on just below that is um, the, the, the lives of the saints. We meditate on the, the wonders that they, they were able to accomplish and their zeal. We, we meditate on their obedience. And when you read the story of someone like St. Moses the Black or St. Mary of Egypt, how does that not motivate anyone to repent? And how does that not fill you with hope and more courage and more desire for God? That's why we, we, we like shove this down every child's throat. All of the saints, because you have something tangible, you know? Something that you could, you could grasp, something that you can reach. And the saints are real, you know? They accomplished that level of sanctity, having the same nature as me. So that further increases my desire to commit to God, to follow God, to obey God, to sacrifice and to love in the very same way that they lived. Finally, another topic that I would say is important for us to meditate on is just the joy that's awaiting us, right? The, the heavenly glory. And if... If you've read Revelations, I mean, that is the essence of what the book is all about. And we come to read this in its entirety in the night of Apocalypse when God completed the salvation through His Christ and His cross. And now we celebrate the victory that He gave us and the joy and the glory and the blessings that await for us in heaven where there is no sun because God Himself is a light, where there are no tears and there's no sorrow, no mourning. And that's essentially what we're living for. This time is fleeting. This time is passing. And regardless of how long our life may be, how does it compare to heaven? So meditate on all of these things. There's so much more spiritual activities that we can do to, to, to sing, to read, to, to pray, to listen to sermons while we're on uh, a long drive, put something spiritual on. Listen to a sermon. Do something to reawaken your conscience so that that spark and that desire for God can increase. And that's essentially what will produce a greater devotion and a greater commitment to God. Okay, so I want to just 
summarize everything and I'm not going to reiterate much but I have a, a little slide you can even just use this to take a little snapshot uh, not snapchat snapshot of the slide so that you could have it for your own records if you didn't get a chance to take notes or whatever so we first said that the Christian path is one of desire and thirst for God okay we have to desire and thirst for God that's what the Christian path is all about Next, as we said, we thirst for God more by realizing the dryness of our soul and admitting our need for Him. Okay? We thirst for God more by realizing how dry our soul really is. We start to thirst even more when we realize our soul is like a desert. If we realize our need to have a deeper desire for God, like we need to be thirsty, we need to desire, we'll pray as beggars and humbly accept whatever measure of desire He gives us. Right? We, we adopt this mindset of a beggar to always plead and to pray for God to increase our desire for Him and to give us more and more and more. And then we started this last practical part by while waiting for God to cultivate a deeper desire for Him in our heart, our part is to simply remain in His presence and to taste the sweetness of the spiritual life by engaging in spiritual activity, surrounding ourselves with a holy atmosphere, whatever it may be, to just be in a spiritual atmosphere. Meditating on the saints, heaven, and most especially His divine love increases our thirst for Him. Okay, so I hope that's a good little summary. And we're always, always, always working to increase our desire and our thirst for God. Just like the Samaritan woman came to the well today thirsty, We'll, we'll, we'll never reach a state that is above and beyond thirst. As a matter of fact, the closer we come to God, the more we thirst. So I hope we continue to grow in our thirst and I hope we continue to look for more ways to increase our desire for God and to pray fervently, to meditate on Him. Unto Him is due all glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, so... Like I said, we're going to take a moment to uh, answer some questions in our discussion. So, if you didn't get a chance to do so, go on to Slido. And the code is the table. So, go ahead in there and submit any questions that you might have. And for the remaining time, we'll try to discuss whatever is on your mind. Okay, so we have a couple of questions. The first question is, can you elaborate, can you elaborate on God is spirit, the verse from today's readings? That's a very good verse. So um, this is what Christ says to the Samaritan woman, and it's in response to her misunderstanding of worship. And she misunderstands what worship really is because she misunderstands who God really is. She thinks that God is an object. You know, she thinks that, that worship is fulfilled in technicalities and rituals, all of these sort of rites, okay? And so he's shifting her mind from this legalistic understanding of God 
to a spiritual understanding of who he is and a spiritual understanding of what worship is, is the spirit of God, the spirit of worship. So that God isn't to be understood as someone that, that, that is circumscribable, someone that can be contained, someone that is limited to the altar at church. For example, we might come and limit God to what happens in the church life, but God is spirit. God is omnipresent. He's present in all places and fills all things, right? So when we shift away from the legalistic understanding of God, we come to realize that He is not a physical entity, that He is above anything physical, above even a spirit, as we think of an angel, is not the same as what it means to say God is spirit. Because the spirit of an angel is limited and confined to a place. But God is still not confined. right? So he's really elevating her thought to think of God more spiritually. And he's not trying to define God for her because there is a mystical concept in this phrase when he says God is spirit. He's to say that God cannot just be understood in the way that you you think of it. That's why whenever when Christ was speaking to Nicodemus and he says to him, you can't understand the physical matters, how the wind comes and blows. How will you understand these deeper mysteries? Right? So that's the reason he explains to her and he continues to tell her that we ought to worship God in spirit and truth because God is spirit. Right? So God is above the legalities, the technicalities, the rituals, whatever traditions that we might be stuck on, as important as the traditions are, and we adhere to the apostolic church and the rites, they're not the essence of worship. Okay? The essence is, a, is our communion with God, our unity with God, our relationship with God. Okay, another question is, can you explain who the different people are in the resurrection icon before our services? Very good, yes. So, for starters, I would say that the most obvious ones are Adam and Eve. Okay? And then the, the resurrection icon actually has many, many figures. Okay? And it portrays all of the righteous. The, the prophets, the patriarchs, um, you have some prophets that are a little bit more distinct, like you'll see um, Isaiah, for example, um, with like the, the long hair. You'll see Jeremiah typically will be weeping. Um, you'll see David with the crown because uh, he was a king. But aside from all of those um, figures, you have Adam and Eve that are at the center of this icon. Because Adam and Eve embody humanity. Okay? Adam and Eve symbolize the human race. So that's why he's holding on to Adam and Eve. Because in holding on to Adam and Eve, he's holding on to humanity as a whole and lifting us all up with Adam and Eve. 
Okay, so that's really the focus. Um, different icons have the figures painted differently. You know, um, some icons will have like David with a, a staff because uh, that he was a shepherd. Some icons um, will have um, some prophets that are not present in this specific icon. Um, but in essence, it's all of those who were waiting for the resurrection because all the righteous, as good as they may have been, were in Hades after they died because there was no access to heaven. And that's why he descended into Hades through the cross to lift us up with him. Okay. So I don't think there are any more questions. Um, I will just leave this up for you while we conclude in prayer in case you want to uh, just take any notes down or anything for our summary. Um, a special thanks to all of the mothers and all their hard work, their love, everything that they've done for us. And uh, for my mom especially, the best mom I ever had. <laughs> and for um, all the hard work that, that the moms are doing during this difficult time, I know that um, not seeing your children often is very difficult. And everybody that's in the quarantine, it's making this Mother's Day a little tough. But um, by God's grace... Uh, we will make the best of it, and uh, may God continue to support you and strengthen you, and um, and to give you all the heavenly blessings. So let's all bow our heads in prayer, and we'll close here. In the name of the Father, and Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for sending your Son into the earth for us to to have life, to have a new relationship with you, um, to have satisfaction for our thirst, to be quenched in, in our thirst and our needs and our desires. Lord, and I pray that you may continue to increase that desire and that thirst for you, that we may um, draw even closer to you, Lord. And I pray that we just commit more devoutly and more seriously in our relationship with you, in our service, in, in our love for our brothers, um, in, in our dealings with everybody, that your light may shine throughout this uh, dark and difficult period, O oh Lord, um, that our churches may return to um, some type of normalcy and, and um, opening again, and for us to um, to taste that, that living water of uh, your, your precious blood, O oh Lord, and to be satisfied in our hunger by partaking of your body. Through the intercessions of all your saints, Lord, we ask you to hear us as we pray with all thanksgiving. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. To Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. All right, everyone. May the love of God the Father, the grace of His only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the gift and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.